it, baby! But here, I've met a lot of people and I've played some too. And there's one thing I know, people like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. Hey, where you at, baby? How y'all making? Yeah, thanks for joining me here on the Spudcast podcast, talking out my ass. I appreciate you taking the time. Got a little controversial with the show tonight. My guest is Kevin Bourgeois, who I mistakenly teased as being a lawyer for uh, Snap of New Orleans. But no, he's the head of the chapter of Snap, and he's also a licensed clinical social worker, and he is also a victim of uh, ecclesiastical abuse, priest abuse, however you want to say it. And uh, he and Snap have made an effort now to write the Vatican and have the Pope oust Archbishop Gregory Amon. So we're going to find out more about that right after this. Spot here. Did you know 70% of the 240 top-selling CBD products online not only have lead, they got arsenic, they got pesticides, they got toxic mold. Quit fooling around and get the only CBD product guaranteed to be 100% organic by the USDA. SunMed CBD products from your CBD store. They're on Magazine Uptown, on Vets in Metri, and on Manhattan in Harvey. They have in-store specials, or you can order online at yourcbdstorenola.com. Use the promo code WELCOME to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, what you got going this weekend? Can't go to the game, you can't even tailgate, so what you gonna do? Go fishing! Get yourself a licensed and insured charter guide on lasaltwater.com. Super easy to follow that website. What you gonna catch, where you wanna catch it, how you wanna catch it. All the big ones are waiting for you, and to top it off, you'll still be able to watch the game on TV at the lodge at the end of the day of fishing. Sounds great? Got an open spot for you, babe. You want in, just sign up on lasaltwater.com. All right, we're on the Spudcast podcast. We're talking to uh, attorney Kevin Bourgeois, who is the leader of the New Orleans, what is it, a chapter of SNAP there, uh, Kevin? I mean, is it is there, there are chapters all over the place, or y'all call them different things, or what's, what's, what, what exactly? How does it break down hierarchy-wise? Hey, Spud, thanks for having me. Yeah, this, <laughs> New Orleans is a chapter. There are chapters all over the country. There's chapters in Europe, um, Australia, all over the country, all over the world. So it's a pretty widespread problem, which we all knew, but, I mean, nobody... Nobody thinks about it, I guess, beyond, wow, you know what, uh, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, they were referred to as those Lafayette priests, you know, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, it kind of uh, expanded beyond that. I don't know. Was it something in the water? I don't want to say holy water, but, you know, what? what? (laughs) I don't don't get it, you know, me personally, but that's whatever. So what is SNAP exactly? Lafayette, Louisiana is where it's, Lafayette, Louisiana is where the clergy sex abuse scandal started in the United States. Or, or I'm sorry, that's not where it started. That's where a priest was actually caught mm-hmm. in, in the United States. Well, I know Jason Berry, who wrote that book, and uh, he wrote a one-man play about Earl Long that I performed for like two years. And, uh, you know, he kept trying to get into uh, the Vatican for research and such, and they kept turning him down. I don't know what he's done since, uh, but he's he's more than willing to uh, to jammer on about it. But his this is all research. I mean, you guys are actually doing something, trying to force uh, the church's hand, trying to make uh, force the church to make decisions. Why? Okay, let's let's start with this. Uh, no, no, I want to save that for a second before we talk about the archbishop specifically. Okay. Um, 
How did you get involved in all of this? I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but are you a victim too? Or you got friends who are victims or what? Because I don't know anybody, anybody molested by priests. I don't know them unless they just hide it. Yeah, well, you, you, you don't know it unless, some, unless somebody tells you, right? Just like any other kind of person that's been victimized, mm-hmm. they keep it secret until they share it with somebody that they know and trust. And I grew up in St. Catherine of Siena Parish. That's what my, you know, that's where I was. And, I'm, and I'm, a, I'm an usher there, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful, tony neighborhood. And um, I went to high school at St. John Prep, which was a high school seminary. You needed to be open to the priesthood. I was supposed to get a Jesuit like my dad did, and my cousins were already enrolled. And I had a different idea of where I wanted to continue high school after St. Catherine. Um, the priest who was in charge of the choir, the gleeman, music director, um, is Father Carl Davidson. He died in 2007, not before only sexually abusing me and my friends when we were in high school there, but dozens before. And I don't, I, I'm not sure how many after me. I'm really not sure. Mm-hmm. But all I know is that he left a trail of horror um, and uh, was protected by the current archbishop during his tenure because they lived under the same roof and worked together at my high school. That's their connection. Do you think, I mean, I know he's made a statement going, he was unaware of those kinds of things. It's not, it, it doesn't sound to me like a dinner table conversation or something that I he mean, would readily do in front of his uh, peers. Well, let me tell you, any any priest and every priest who actually is in residence living in a rectory with their brother priest, if there were, were underage boys running around the rectory or spending the night at the rectory, they couldn't do it without their brother priest's knowledge. True. I'm just I'm saying stuff to make you answer questions. OK, I don't want to say I disagree <laughs> with you, but this is what I'm saying. If I were one of these priests. Mm-hmm. I would not have boys at the sacristy. I would find some other secret place to do it, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm plotting and planning or nothing, but I, you know, I would not in any way do this where I thought I would get caught when it would just be my word against the, the, the victim and nobody, no, nobody to be a witness of ver- you know, to, to justify or, or to, uh, to verify what the other person said. Well, sure, sure, exactly. Well, I, I can only share my experience and other survivors mm-hmm. who who have confided in me. I, you know, I I, I want to correct you too. I'm not an attorney. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Ah, okay, good. Yeah, please. Yeah. I, I I thought you were an attorney for some reason, yeah. reading the legalese in the letter and everything. Right. No, I'm I'm that came from my voice and my pen or computer. I'm not an attorney. I'm a social worker. I've been in private practice 25 years or a social worker for 25 years. And, you know, I work with abuse with, with a lot of clients who, who suffered from sexual abuse. Across and the I board. Not, not, the board. yeah, not specifically to, uh, to church abuse. Cause I was, majority, the, I was in the boy majority. Scouts too, you know, but I, I didn't have any, any experiences like that either. I don't know. Was I ugly? I don't know. But I talked with, look, I talked with a gentleman this, this morning who is, who was a victim of uh, clergy abuse by a priest who was also in the Boy Scouts. The priest was chaplain of the Boy Scouts, right? Yeah. So they, so that's the cat guard in the hen house. Yeah, our, our troop was sponsored by, uh, by a church back where I grew up. And uh, 
he's long dead, but when they when the Baton Rouge Diocese put out their list, his name was on it. And I'm going, right. you're kidding me, Father Claymore? Are you kidding me? Right. But no, hey, you know, somebody somebody pointed a finger at him. It's funny, I talked to Jason Berry this morning. <laughs> uh, how's he doing, he's a, by the way? He's great. He's he's uh he's spending uh the summer in southwest Louisiana, um United States, I should say. Yeah. Heading back to New Orleans later this week. Uh, no, he's awesome. And, and I've, I've come to, to, to meet Jason um, as leader of the, of the, Snapchat, uh, the Snap chapter. Um, he got involved. He wanted to know what kind of efforts we were doing because, as you know, back in the mid-'80s, he studied, and he's a, he's a well-renowned scholar and author on clergy abuse. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he is. So I, I broke bread in his house twice before. And he's anxious, he's eager, he's watching what we're doing because he's invested in this. He was invested in this for so long. And he's got other things going on right now, but he's interested to make sure that we get justice. Well, yeah, he is, he is somebody who, uh, he, he started banging the drum way back when, when nobody wanted to believe him. Or even, I mean, even when the evidence was presented and he wrote the, the book about it, people were just, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's a one-time thing. But it, it turns out to be a many, many, many time thing. When we get back here, Okay, so so I was wrong. You're not an attorney. You're you're a clinical uh, so, psychologist, social worker. What's your official title? Because every time I see somebody who helps people, I automatically think shrink, whether you got the PhD or not. You know. Well, so yeah, I'm a social worker. So there's the the, the psychiatrist has a medical degree. Yeah. The college has a PhD. Social workers have a master's in social work. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know about we psychiatrists because all... they they can prescribe drugs. So. That's the only difference. That's that's the only difference. We all study and and um, call ourselves therapists, but just we just have different letters behind our names. Yeah, I know. Uh, I have I have M A behind my name, but we we won't get into that. All right. When we we're gonna step away, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about this specific thing: the effort to actually uh, have the the Vatican investigate and remove the uh, Archbishop and okay. other things that are going on and how people can get in touch with you if they think uh, or if they were abused. All of that will give all the information out there so people can get in touch with you and find out more about your organization. But in the meantime, okay. i got to step away for a second. This is the Spudcast podcast. I'm talking out my ass, and I'm talking with uh, Kevin Bourgeois, and we're talking about SNAP and their efforts to, um, I guess, oust the uh, the Archbishop here on, uh, on the Spudcast back right after this. Just when you thought 2020 had served up the worst it had to offer, here comes hurricane season and the flooding rains of summer, right? Does the sound of thunder strike fear in your home in a good year? Well, I can't help you with pandemics or Saharan sand, but I can tell you how to fix your flooding problem. Call the team at Home Team Elevation. Their precision home raising equipment will lift you above the floods. It's height done right. Guaranteed. Get your flooding problem fixed now with the Home Team Advantage. Experienced, hands-on, local owners. In the worry, stop insurance rate hikes. You want design choices? On the Home Team, you're the MVP. So don't wait. Elevate with Home Team Elevation because the flood stops here. Get your free quote at 3011222. Or go to hometeamelevation.com. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Kevin Bourgeois, who is a uh, licensed clinical social worker, and he is the head of the SNAP chapter here in New Orleans. What does SNAP stand for specifically? Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. 
30,000 members. It's a volunteer organization. We run support group for individuals who are abused by clergy. It's a safe place for individuals to come to. It's free, it's a nonprofit, and um, we do a lot of great work across the country and across the world. Yeah, fundraisers or people make private donations. I mean, it's free, so people show up. I mean, I, I don't want to make a pass the basket joke, but how do you fund this stuff? Because I know it takes a good chunk of your time to do this, and uh, you know, you got to make a living. Yeah. Well, so. we have a we have a, um, a national board of directors, and and we have a paid uh, executive director, and he has an administrative person, and that's it. Um, I think they're finally actually uh, hired a fundraiser to help uh, secure grant money and other private donations by individuals mm -hmm. to keep our organization going. It's been around since 1989. Well, and it's also, I mean, when you meet, it's not like y'all show up at a coffee shop. I mean, you got to have someplace safer than that, a regular place. Oh, well, yeah, okay. absolutely. And so the New Orleans chapter was dormant since 2005 after Katrina. I restarted it last year. And that was going to be my next question. How did you become the head of this? I mean, did somebody tap you on the shoulder? You just saw it and went, okay, this this needs to happen. The, the last thing in the world I wanted to do, Spud, was run a support group for sexual abuse survivors because, like most survivors, we keep this to ourselves and it's private. Um, I held my secret for 35 years mm -hmm. until I couldn't any until I couldn't anymore. But yeah, I was. It was basically a tap on the shoulder. Hey, Kevin, um, I had gone to the national convention last summer in D.C. And I was asked a, a few weeks later, would I would I lead the group and get it restarted in New Orleans? And I said, absolutely, I would. Well, good for you. Well, I mean, it just seem, it seems to me uh, it seems to me that it, it's got to be extra hard to do this. I mean, because you suffered abuse is why you were attracted to it to become the leader. But it also to me, it would be now I got to relive this stuff every day when I'm listening to somebody else's stories, you know. And I guess that's why so many people like you, you didn't you didn't step up and talk about it for 35 years, because who the hell wants to remember that? You well, know, I also did a lot of work. I also did a lot of personal work and got a lot of uh, and got help from um, my own therapist and uh, and did some trauma therapy work so that it could be able to be present for other people. Otherwise, you're right. There's no way that you, that, that, that could be effective. I couldn't do it. Well, I don't know. I don't know what I'd, I'd never been in this boat. I, I, and it's like you never know what you're going to do until you got to do it. Let's get to the let's get to the the, the event. Okay, so uh, for one thing, a priest was removed because he fessed up to uh, molesting somebody, uh, a young boy, back what in the two thousand, early two thousands, or nine in the nineties. Two thousand thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't have my notes in front of me because I just I don't because uh, I got you. So there you go. Yep, two thousand thirteen. That, that is that that's the only thing he fessed up to. That's the only thing, that's the only finger that's ever been pointed at him, other than he kept texting and, and maintaining contact with him and other, other young men. But that's the only... Oh, right, but all we know is that he, it, that he was sent away for, for treatment by the archbishop after parents um, called the archdiocese saying that he, was, that he was texting their sons at Pope John Paul II High School. We're talking about Pat Watney. Yeah. That's when he admitted that to sexually abusing a student or a boy when he was the chaplain of Rummel High School back in 2000, between 2000 and 2013. Okay. And then, so the, the archbishop removed him from being chaplain of Pope John Paul II High School in Slidell and replaces him with the Reverend Travis Clark, whom we'll speak with about, I'm sure, soon. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about him soon. Uh, 
And the second one that got removed was the pervy guy over in Pearl River who hired the two dominatrices to come and uh, desecrate the altar. Yeah, that's that's Travis Clark. Yeah, Travis Clark, who who got he. uh, Well, first off, I just looked at his picture and going, dude, man, you you look road hard and put away wet for being so young. He, but now the, I got to tell you though the two the lawyer who was representing the two uh, hookers who got uh, arrested mm-hmm. his commentary was like well you know they didn't do anything wrong well yeah you did you're hookers you know so yeah that's against the law here in the state of Louisiana but as for the rest of it the demonic all the rest of that kind of stuff they're nut jobs as far as I'm concerned all this stuff falls on Clark and the burning of the altar and everything else that's that's a very powerful uh, image and a very powerful statement. But there's a lot of things that that happened in a lot of different parishes. And while they weren't necessarily on the altar in the chapels or the churches, they were still within Absolutely. religious institutions. So, I mean, are they going right. to burn? Are they going to burn a, a janitor's closet? Or are they going to burn, you know, something else and remove their cut it out, make it a big abattoir and just throw it out in the middle of the parking lot and set it on fire? How are they going to fix all this kind of stuff? And then and let me tell you, go ahead. Right. So, so the archbishop, uh, you know, basically the burning of the altar is was a photo op for this archbishop. He cared more about the, his priest having sex on the altar with two dominatrixes. And, and so he burns the altar for a photo op. That's my opinion that it was a photo op, but it's not just my opinion. I tell you, if he had to burn down every church, rectory and sacristy across the archdiocese of New Orleans, where priests have have abused children for the last 10 decades. Yeah, we wouldn't have a sacristy left. We would not have a standing religious building in the city of New Orleans, in the outlying parishes of New Orleans, of of Louisiana, okay? Yeah. Well, well, you know what? You made a a point, though. You made a point about it being a photo op. I mean, really and truly, if he would have not allowed anybody there to take a picture and it would just have been all anecdotal evidence, you know, that, that would have been something else. But, yeah. You know what? Yeah, it it was it was a it was a photo op. It was the proper thing to do, I believe, in mm-hmm. desecrating when they desecrated the altar. But there was a whole lot of proper things that have never been done. Exactly. So and and one of the things that he's never done, but he's never ever done, is be honest with the parishioners of the archdiocese of New Orleans about the comings and goings of his pedophile priest. He's never he never he's never turned over records. We we would like to know. The only thing that he's done legally is file for bankruptcy, which is moral. They're, I think they're morally bankrupt, not financially bankrupt. But just because he released a list, uh, an inaccurate list of 57 priests two years ago, that's not an uh, it's not a true list because he keeps adding to it every other month. He's up to 65 now. But we don't know when the diocese knew about each alleged uh, uh, priest or deacon's abuse. We don't know who he, how many victims that priest or deacon had when it was first known to the archdiocese. There's a, and, and who made the determination of being credibly mm-hmm. a, a, accused of sexual abuse? Now, I got I, I got I to move on because I'm, I'm running out of time. Okay. You guys have sent a letter to the Pope asking that the Vatican send an investigator down here specifically to look at removing the archbishop. My okay. first thought when I saw that was like, better the devil you know? But they did this before. This this has been done before. Uh, what was it, Buffalo that they were removing? You're right. Somebody in upstate New York, yeah. Richard uh, Malone. And, and, uh, and w- what has happened since he got removed? They replaced him with another bishop, and the people in Buffalo 
um, or, or asking for his removal because he's not being open and transparent with them either. This, the asking for asking for a papal investigators to come in is not out of the ordinary. They have 30 days to respond to us. Within those, after those 30 days, they appoint a cardinal to investigate an archbishop because that would be the most senior cleric to an archbishop would be a cardinal. There's only five sitting cardinals in the United States. Would would we'll come in and do a 90 day investigation of Eamon. That's where we're at. We're not asking for an outright removal. We're asking them to come investigate him because he's not being honest and transparent with us. But it's a, well, that, my next question is about being open and honest and transparent. What what level is he? Does does he not have to follow certain dictates? Absolutely. I mean, is he is is he a, a is he able? Is an archbishop? I don't want to keep pointing the finger at Amen until they've had this investigation. But are they able to pass the buck? Who tells them how to handle things? The, the Vatican tells them. Look, the arch. Look, the hierarchy is is a monarchy. Think of it as a monarchy, and each archbishop is a king in his own kingdom. The buck stops with the archbishop. Nobody can tell the archbishop what to do except the big guy in Vatican City. Now, the big guy has a set of rules that we believe this archbishop is not following. When there's an internal investigation of a priest for a sexual abuse, mm-hmm. that archbishop is supposed to do an, his, his own investigation. And then when he deems somebody credible, he has the power to remove that priest from ministry and then send it up the, the, the chain to the Vatican for them to investigate. But what do they do? I mean, all they did, it seems like all they did was was move people around. They yeah, if they did remove somebody, but they just sent him somewhere else. And it's like, you know what? I said, I said something on the radio one time that I caught some grief for, but I'm going to say it again. You know what? I know the priests in my parish are both uh, lawyers. They're canonical lawyers and uh, excommunicate them. I mean, you know, threaten them with that. And you're you're worried about also, oh, we're going to we got to let the uh, civil authorities know, which you rightfully do. I mean, if they go to confession, tell them, here, here's your penance. Go to the cops and fess up. You don't exactly. get three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. Go to the police and fess up what you did and face it like a man. And if yeah. that and, and then also face face canon law. And if necessary, do like they did in that movie Beckett, man. Turn them candles over and snuff them out and pronounce them excommunicate. Right. right. So, I, and no, I mean, it, I know that's that's harsh. But if if what they did is accurate, that's harsh too. That's harsher, as far as I'm concerned. God is all forgiving, so if they excommunicate somebody and God changes his, changes the rules, well, that's that's God's prerogative. But in the meantime, I got rules to follow over here, and sometimes I want to go, dude. I mean, I'll I'll go stand in the backyard and confess. And look, you and I are subject to secular laws. If you and I did you committed a crime. We're going to jail, but we also are going to a court of law to prove our innocence. Yeah. The Catholic Church doesn't go to court. They mediate, they do private mediations, and then they and, and then they, they hire the best of the best that Jones Walker has to offer and Denisho and Janet Denisho have to offer. And you know what happened as a result of all these lawsuits? They filed for bankruptcy to stop all discovery from um, from reaching the public purview including Gail Benson's involvement. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that kind of stuff. I saw that. Well, we told him not to do that. We told him to be careful. That's not fiction. No, I don't believe that's the truth. Yeah. But unfortunately, what are you going to do? Three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. I'm sorry. I lied. So uh, I'll say a rosary and I'm back on the, back on the path.
But Kevin, I hope I answered your question. I hope I answered the question. That no, you did. Um, you did. I, I, I'm, uh, you know what? I mean, I'm like everybody else. I got, I got things to do. I got to make a living. I, I try to live my life. I go to church. Uh, I try to teach my kids that I believe Catholic dogma. But yeah, there's a lot of people in this hierarchy who just flat out don't belong there. I got to go, Kevin, but we'll talk again. Anyway, how, quickly, how can people become involved or find out more or maybe they need to sit down and talk with you before they uh, come out, shall we say? Absolutely. Yeah, they can call. They can call me directly. They can go to snapnetwork.org. Snapnetworks.org. Okay. Snapnetwork.org. That goes to our national website and you click in wherever you live and that'll directly that'll give them my phone number directly and my email address, which is New Orleans at snapnetwork.org. Cool. Well, uh, Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure I'm going to get letters about this, but you know what? Got to talk about the ugly stuff. You really do. You're right. Thank you. I appreciate the time. No problem. Thanks. Take care. Spud here, and you know the first place I go when my family needs to see a doctor is rapid urgent care. I mean, you're in and out of there in 40 minutes, give or take. You spend that much time in an ER just waiting to get triaged. From a broken ankle to a bee sting to a COVID test, Rapid Urgent Care has got you covered with clinics all over Southeast Louisiana. You don't need an appointment. Just walk right in with your ID and your insurance card. Or you can sign up for their health care partnership. Rapid Urgent Care also has a telemed center. Just waiting for your call might save you a trip. Go to rapidurgentcare.com to find out more and to find the clinic nearest you. I scream, you scream, we all scream for beads and doubloons and coconuts and marching bands and walking clubs and tableaus and mask balls and mystic crews and everything else that says Mardi Gras. Keep Mardi Gras what it's always been, a family event before Lent. If you want to help keep traditions alive, go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and join the growing group of businesses, citizens, and carnival entities that want to keep Mardi Gras a safe and happy event without it being regulated to death. Go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and laissez les bon temps rouler. All right, so uh, I want to say thanks to my guest, Kevin Bourgeois from Snap, and I uh, hope you all read up on this kind of stuff. If you need their help, by all means, jump on in there. Before we take off, though, it's time for your dumbass of the day. Although this dumbass, well, yeah, he's a dumbass because he's also a sick dumbass. What he is is a pimp. He's a genuine pimp, even though he don't dress up like too pimpish because uh, his stable is in the morgue. That's right. This is a guy got arrested because he would advertise online and people would come in and he would let visitors have sex with the bodies under his care in a morgue. So I, I don't know what else to say about him. 36-year-old James Whitaker pushed the motto, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> I didn't write that line. It's in the story. Sick bastard that he is, he was pimping out cadavers. Uh, so he's facing a whole bunch of charges, and all the rest of us are not having to face him. I tell you what, I, now I know why people just stay in their homes. What a sick bastard. Y'all be good. What can I say? Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Uh, you can hear me on, on uh, Spotify and Red Circle and iHeart and uh, Public Radio and Google and Pandora and a bunch of other places. You can find me on my Facebook pages Spud's Friends and Fans, and John McConnell. And you can also find me on Twitter, uh, at SpudGotDat. Anyway, I appreciate y'all taking the time. Y'all watch out for the crazies, but I'm a gone pecan.